Hopefully you have a Bible with you. I invite you to take it and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 together this morning. And uh, we're coming to the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. While you're turning there, I want to give just a couple of quick uh, commercials, okay? Just I want to plug a couple of things. Uh, first of all, so many of you have started coming to Moberly in the last several months or last year. We're delighted that you're here. We're really glad that you are worshiping with us week in and week out. I want to encourage you uh, to be part of something else that we do that we think is really, really important to your spiritual health. You know, our heart here at Moberly is that every single person will have a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And part of our growth in Christ, it, yes, we gather for worship, we hear the Word of God taught, we sing praises to King Jesus. All of that is a very important part of our growth as Christians. But it's really impossible to go as deep in your walk with Christ as God wants you to without being connected in meaningful Christian relationships. We need one another. And you need to be connected to other Christians. It's very easy to come to a place like Moberly and, you know, slip in where sort of maybe you can be a little anonymous and you come in and enjoy, you know, a worship service and then you slip out and nobody ever really knows you and you don't ever really get to know anyone else. But actually, we won't ever grow like God wants us to grow until we connect with other uh, Christians in meaningful relationships. And one of the ways that we do that here at Moberly is through what we call connect groups, okay? It's what my little kids call Sunday school. We're just talking about small group Bible study. This is where you get to be in a smaller group of believers. You study the Bible together, you pray for one another, you hold each other accountable, you begin to do life with one another. And I really wanna encourage you, if you've not found a connect group to get plugged into, we wanna help you with that. And in fact, after this service, if you walk out those doors, go to the lobby, just see a staff member and say, hey, I'm interested in a connect group then we'll help find one for you that fits with your kind of age or life stage uh, so that you can be known. Um, like think about in the Bible, all of the one another passages in, in scripture. There's over 100 one another passages just in the New Testament alone. Love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, et cetera, et cetera. How can we fulfill any of those without other people in our lives, right? We need one another to be able to practice the one another's that Jesus gives us. That's, we need real deep community if we're really gonna grow to be all that Jesus wants us to be. So I wanna uh, encourage you to be plugged into a connect group if you haven't tried one out yet. Okay, here's the second commercial, all right? I need all of the men in the house uh, to let me know that you're here by letting out a very manly ugh. That was manly, uh, that's great. Men, I want to invite you to Man Night, okay? October 1st, first Sunday of October, we have Man Night. Man Night is going to be the Elevation Building at 3 p.m. for all men. We're going to have the game on. We'll have pizza and wings that we'll provide for you. We're going to play pickleball. We're going to play cornhole. We're going to play dodgeball with wrenches. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are not physically inclined, we'll have board games. And uh, if you're a man, listen, we want to have you here. And there's no agenda for that time other than just to get together and hang out. Ugh? Okay, yeah. So hope that you'll join me. And you can find out more information by texting MEN to 57686. It's going to be a great time together, October 1st. And Pastor Will says that shirts are optional. So shirts are optional, guys. If you want to wear war paint or anything like that, we'd love to have you for man night. All right, hopefully you found your way by now to Matthew chapter seven. 
Have you ever come to a fork in the road in your life? Well, we are presented with a fork in the road in Matthew chapter seven. I took a fork in the road one time when I was in high school. I was on a 96 mile backpacking trip in the mountains of New Mexico at Philmont Scout Ranch. I was a boy scout. And uh, just outside of Cimarron, New Mexico, we were taking a, a very long 10 day backpacking trip. And on the second to last day, it was day number nine, we'd gone about 90 miles and we came to a particular fork in the, in the trail. And if we went one way, it was gonna be our original route. We would hit about a hundred miles in 10 days. But if we took the fork, if we went down a different trail, it would be a shortcut and we could shave off about four miles, which that may not sound like that much when you've gone 90 miles, but if you're going 100 and you can shave off four and you're on day nine, that sounds wonderful. So we decided to take the fork in the road. We'd go down this different trail and we ended up staying at an alternate campsite from the one we had originally planned. We camped there, uh, had a great night, woke up the next morning, walked to base camp, finished out the hike at 96 miles and hung out and waited for another troop of Boy Scouts who had gone the original route. They were a little behind us. They had gone the original route, gone to the original campsite. They finally come to base camp. They're like, where were you last night? Y'all never showed up at the campsite. And we just said, well, we took a shortcut, took the fork in the road, went to this other campsite. Well, we came to find out that we were never supposed to take that particular fork and we were never supposed to stay in that alternate campsite because two weeks prior to that, there had been a bear attack at that campsite. And the people who were running the scout camp had baited that campsite for bears. <laughs> so you've got all these 15 year old guys, you know, sleeping in a bear baited camp. We had no idea. We had a great night of sleep. Well, we just slept like babies and then went, you know, the base camp. Meanwhile, the other group that had gone to the original campsite come back and they tell us what happened the night before. They had to stay up all night long because there were bears that were coming through the campsite. And so they had to light fires and they were hitting pots and pans and making ugh noises and all kinds of things that they could do to keep, you know, the bears away. So here's the moral of the story. Sometimes the fork that we take, the path that we choose, isn't always what it appears to be at first. When we come to Matthew chapter seven, we see that Jesus is the ultimate fork in the road. When you meet Jesus, it's like you come to a line in the sand. It's like you come to a line of demarcation. If you've ever vacationed up in Colorado, many of you have seen the Continental Divide. And you know, that's where uh, the water that runs down the mountain on one side of the Continental Divide will go one direction and uh, to the east and the water that runs down the other side of the Continental Divide will run down in the other direction uh, to the west. It is a line of separation. It's a line of demarcation. And, and that's true of Jesus. When you meet Jesus, the one thing that you can't be is indecisive about who Jesus is and what he's done. You cannot be ambivalent. Uh, you, you cannot be indifferent. When you are faced with Jesus, you have to choose whether you believe he is who he says he is and he's done what the Bible says he's done or he is not who he says he is and he has not done what the Bible says that he has done. You have to choose to accept him or reject him. You have to choose whether the Bible's claims about him are true or false. Either Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead and it changes everything, or he didn't. And millions of Christians for 2000 years have been wasting their lives. 
It's either true or it's false. There's no in-between. There's no neutrality or middle ground with Jesus. And that's what we see as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has been teaching about the way of the kingdom. And as he concludes his sermon, he presents those who are listening to him, and by extension, he presents us today with a choice. Will you choose the way of the kingdom, or will you choose to do life your way? There are only two ways to live, and Jesus is a fork in the road that when you come to him, you have to choose. Will I accept him, or will I reject him? Will I live life Jesus' way, or will I live life my way? Now, as Jesus puts this choice before those who hear him, he uses in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 29, Jesus uses three images that are vivid that he lays before us to consider that really just illustrate this truth that there's two ways to live. You have, you have an option today. You can go one way or you can go the other. So he uses the image of, of gates, of fruits, and foundations. Okay, so he says there are two gates. You can go through one or the other. There are two fruits. You can bear one or the other. And there's two foundations. You can build the house of your life on one or the other. Let's look together at what, what he says. Let's look first of all in verses 13 and 14 as Jesus says, there are two gates. Matthew 7, 13 says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The first thing Jesus says, there are two gates. He's talking about how to enter the kingdom, how to be part of God's family, how to, in other words, how to have a relationship with God. And he says, there's, there's two gates that present themselves to you. One is very attractive. It's a very wide gate. If you look beyond the gate, it's a very broad road. And there are lots of people on that road. There are lots of people streaming through that gate. And it may attract you. It may draw you in. It may entice you. It may look like a kind of gate that you want to enter. It may look like a type of road you want to walk on. But Jesus says the end of that road is destruction. On the other hand, there's another gate. And it's not very appealing at all. In fact, it's a small gate. It's a narrow gate. And when you go through that narrow gate, the path is very difficult. It looks like it's not easy. And you don't see a lot of people going through that gate, and you don't see a lot of people walking on that road. But in the end, that gate and that road leads to life. Jesus is simply putting us before us here, there's one option. You have to choose which gate you're going to go through. But the gate to life is one option. It's a narrow gate. It's a difficult road. Now, that, that claim that Jesus is making, that there's one way into the kingdom, this narrow gate, that is entirely backwards from every other narrative you hear in our culture today, isn't it? Every other narrative in our culture says, basically, all roads lead to God. It doesn't really matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Muslim or an atheist. That essentially, we're all going to the same place, that there's a sort of supreme deity in the universe, and all roads lead to Rome, right? That it doesn't matter where you start from. Eventually, as long as you're sincere in your beliefs, eventually you'll end up in the same place. And so that's called universalism. That's the worldview, universalism, um, that, that basically all religions are, are equally the same, what really matters is just that you're sincere about your belief. Or you'll hear uh, a worldview that's called relativism, 
which says that truth is really relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And so there's no such thing as the truth. There's just your truth and my truth. You live your truth and I live my truth. What really matters is that we're just true to ourselves, that we live our truth. How many of you have heard that one? Jesus says exactly the opposite, right? So you might hear those cultural narratives. You just need to know if that's something you buy into, Jesus says exactly the opposite. Jesus says, there is a narrow gate. Few find it. Jesus says elsewhere in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's not your truth and my truth. There is the truth. And the question is not whether you're true to your truth. The question is whether your life aligns with the truth. Jesus says there's two ways to live. There's two gates that present themselves to you. Not all religions are the same. Not all worldviews are true. Not all beliefs are equally valid. The way of the kingdom is narrow. Beyond that, Jesus says the way of the kingdom is also difficult. It's not the easy road. Did you notice that in verse 14? How narrow is the gate? How difficult is the road that leads to life? And few find it. There's a, broad, a road that is broad and easy, and there's a road that's narrow and difficult. And Jesus says, my way is a difficult way. Beware of Christians who will tell you that following Jesus will make your life easier. Okay, that is a message out there you can hear. You can turn on the radio, you can turn on your TV, you can visit any number of churches, and they will say that. Follow Jesus, and you're going to experience prosperity in your life. You'll live your best life now. Follow Jesus, and your bank account will be full, and your cancer will go away, and your dogs will be obedient, and your kids will be in the honor roll, and your life is going to go easy. And there's a Greek word for that. The word is baloney. Okay? <laughs> Baloney, the Bible never teaches that. The Bible never teaches that your life will get easier if you decide to follow Jesus. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite. The Apostle Paul says that all those who strive to live a godly life will suffer persecution. There's a cost to following Jesus. The pathway after Jesus is shaped like a cross. And the reality is if you make the decision to choose the way of Jesus in your life rather than your own way or this world's way, Chances are your life is not going to get easier. It probably will get more difficult. It's not easy to follow Jesus, is it? It's, it's warfare, actually. When you choose to follow Jesus, you get an enemy. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you now have an enemy. And that enemy wakes up every single morning trying to destroy you, puts a target on your back. If you name the name of Christ, you, ha you have a target on your back. Your family has a target on your family's back. Your personal life has a target on your back. Satan wants to destroy you. He hates you. Now you're involved in spiritual warfare. You weren't, <laughs> listen, Satan didn't mess with you before. When you didn't know Jesus, he's happy to leave you alone. But now that you've named the name of Christ, you're now engaged in a battle whether you realize it or not. Not only that, when you follow Jesus, not only do you have an enemy, but some of your friends are not gonna be your friends anymore. You, you may not be able to do the things you used to do. You may start doing new things that you didn't do before. And some of your friends are not going to understand that. They will not understand the choice that you've made. They'll not understand the decisions you're making. And you may find that you begin to walk alone and some of your friends walk away. Or some of you maybe even have family members who don't understand your decision to follow Christ and how, that, how Jesus is going to change your life. Following Jesus is difficult. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Amen? But... 
it is worth it. It's not easy to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. Jesus says, my way, even though it's narrow, even though it's difficult, it's actually the way that leads to life. Jesus says this in the Gospel of John. He says, I came so that they might have life and live it to the full. It's not an easy life, but it's a life that's worth living. It's a life that is in order. It's a life that is as God intended it to be lived. You know, uh, we don't have these in Longview, but if you go to some other larger cities, you'll sometimes see an HOV lane. That's high occupancy vehicle, I think is what that stands for. And there was one in Houston growing up there. Back in the day, it was a narrow lane. And on either side of the lane were concrete barriers the whole way. Anybody ever remember driving the HOV lane in Houston? That's a scary lane to drive. It is narrow. It is difficult. If you sneeze, you're toast, okay? Uh, It is very narrow and difficult. But here's the thing. There are great benefits to driving in the HOV lane. Bubba can't cut you off in traffic. That's really nice. You can go about 35 miles an hour faster than the rest of the sorry traffic over there in the the normal lane. Uh, There's some benefits. There's some freedom in that lane. Following Jesus is exactly the same way. It's a narrow path. It's a difficult path. But in that path, you'll find freedom and you'll find life. And so Jesus says, he puts an option before us. There's a wide path. There's a narrow path. There's a wide gate. There's a narrow gate. You can choose which one to go through. There's only one that leads to life. But then next, Jesus speaks not just of two gates. In verses 15 through 23, he speaks of two fruits. I want you to notice what he says, beginning in verse 15. He says, be on your guard, beware against false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. Okay, now that's a startling statement. What Jesus is saying is that there are fakes in the church. There are frauds sometimes in the church. There are those who look like prophets, but they're actually false. Their doctrine is false. Their lives are false. They look innocent, but they're actually dangerous. They're dressed in sheep clothes, but inside they are ravaging wolves. Now, how how can you spot a false prophet? Well, Jesus actually answers that for us in verse 16. Look what he says. He says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their what? By their fruit. So Jesus here is giving us a warning about false prophets. Now that's very important because here he's just delivered a message to his followers. He said, this is the way of life. This is my way. This is the way of the kingdom. Jesus knows that there will be other voices that beckon for your attention. There will be other messages that you hear. And Jesus says, not all of those messages are true. Not all of those messengers are true. And you need to be discerning about who you listen to. Amen. That is true in our day as it was in Jesus's day. There are such things as false prophets. This is a warning to us. There are people who are frauds in the church. Not everyone who talks the talk walks the walk. Notice what Jesus says down in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but only one who, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Here's what Jesus is saying. Not everyone who talks the talk walks the walk. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, actually knows Jesus as Lord. This ought to be a startling verse to you because this tells us you can have, you can have correct theology and be far from God. You can recognize who Jesus is. You can truly recognize his identity. He's the Lord. But just because you can answer all of the questions the right way and your, your theology maybe is correct, you might still be far from God. It's possible to say, Lord, Lord, and God say to you, I don't know you. Um, you know, going to Bible college and seminary, every single semester uh, throughout a decade of theological education, every single semester, someone on my campus would give their life to Christ. You say, pastor, at a seminary, at a Bible college, and they're going to study theology and study the Bible, they're preparing for a life of ministry. Yes, every single semester, someone would recognize that even though they were studying the Bible, even though they were training for ministry, even though they were learning theology, some, some recognized each semester that they did not know the Lord. One of those people is now your pastor's wife. Let me just tell you, it's possible to have correct theology. It's possible to be religiously involved, right? These people said, hey, we've prophesied in your name. That means they've preached. They've done miraculous works and driven out demons. I don't understand how all of that works. But Jesus is just saying, apparently, it's possible to be very religiously involved, to even participate in the work of God in some way and still not know him. It's possible to be a pastor and not know Jesus. It's possible to be a deacon and be far from God. It's possible to be a, a connect group leader. Uh, uh, it's possible to be somebody who comes to church every time the doors are open and you are religiously involved. And if someone gave you a theology test, you could answer all the right answers and yet you don't know God. Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom. There are frauds. In the church, how do you spot a fraud? How do you spot a fake? Well, Jesus tells us, you will recognize them, verse 16, by their, what? Fruit. So this is a metaphor. Jesus is saying, in the same way that a, a plant or a tree bears certain kinds of fruit, and that fruit tells you what kind of tree it is. Your life bears fruit. And the kind of fruit that your life bears reveals something about the kind of life you have. Right, so if you, if you grow uh, an apple tree, how do you know it's an apple tree? You look for apples, right? If it grows pears, you don't have an apple tree, right? That's what he's saying. If, if thorns don't bear figs, right? Grapes don't come from thorn bushes. If you wanna know that you have an apple tree, you gotta look for apples as fruit. Jesus is saying, examine the fruit of your life. Take a look. The kind of fruit that you bear tells you something about the kind of roots that you have. If your life is rooted in Christ, it will bear Christ-honoring fruit. There's only two types of fruit. There's good fruit 
and there's bad fruit. Every single person in this room is bearing fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Jesus says, look at the fruit. It'll tell you about the root. Examine the fruit of someone's life and you'll know whether they're fake, they're just talking the talk, or if they're legitimate and they're walking the walk. You can spot a fraud by their fruit. If you know the Lord, it will show. Uh, you know, you, you cannot, uh, if you're pregnant, you cannot hide it by month eight or month nine, okay? Month two, you can hide it, right? You can just, you know, carry pillows and other things and kind of hide it. But by month eight, month nine, it's obvious because it shows, right? If you know the Lord, it will show in your life. Let me ask you, does your walk with God show? The people who know you, not just on Sunday, the people who know you on Monday, the people at your office, would they say by looking at the fruit of your life that you know the Lord? On your campus, in your classroom, the people who are with you on Friday nights, would they say that the fruit of your life reveals someone who knows and loves Jesus or someone who's bearing false fruit? Jesus says there's two kinds of fruits that your life can bear. Two gates, two fruits. But here's the third and final image that Jesus uses, and that is the image of a foundation. He says there's two foundations you can build your life on. Let's look down together at verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, right? So he's landing the plane here of his sermon. He's ending with an invitation. He's saying, you've heard what I've said to you. Now, I want you to act on it. I want you to do something about it. I want you to make a decision and do something with the words you've heard. If you hear these words and act on them, then you will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And uh, the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house. And yet it did not collapse. Why? Because its foundation was what? On the rock. But everyone, on the other hand, who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them. In other words, you hear the words of Jesus and you ignore him. <laughs> you see the way of Jesus and you say, no, thank you, not for me. If you hear these words of mine, Jesus says, and you don't act on them, you will be a fool. You'll be so foolish. You'll be like the man who built his house on sand. And when the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house, right? The same storm that the wise man encountered, your house will collapse. And look at how Jesus underscores this. He says, the, the house collapsed and it collapsed with a great crash. Old King James Version says, great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and unlike their scribes. Jesus simply describes two men here, the wise man and the foolish man. This is like the Proverbs, right? So often the Proverbs just present two ways, the way of wisdom, the way of folly. Jesus says there's a wise man and a foolish man, and they, they share some things in common. They, they both built a house, and they both faced a storm. And I think that's important to just pause and say, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. You're both, you're going to face a storm, right? The storm is coming. Amen? Jesus says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Storms are coming into your life. So that's going to be common among us. But 
they had two very different results. When the storms of life blew in, one of the houses collapsed while the other remained sturdy. What was the difference between the two? Looking at your text, what was the difference between the one house and the other house? It was the foundation. The only difference between these two men's experiences, they both faced storms in life. Same rain, same rivers, same wind, different results. The only difference was the foundation that they built their house on. One was built on a house of sand. The other, it was a house on rock. One was a house of cards that collapsed under pressure. The other was a house of rock that stood sturdy no matter the storm. Jesus is saying, when you are faced with the fork in the road, there is a choice you can make to build your house on sand or build your house on rock. You can have a house that is sturdy no matter the storms of life, or you can have a house that will collapse when life gets tough. The only difference is whether you have built your house, the house of your life, on a foundation of sand or a foundation of stone. And you say, what does it look like to build my, the house of my life on a foundation of sand? Well, Jesus tells us that in verse 26. He says, if you are hearing these words of mine and don't act on them, then you'll be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So, so what does it look like to build the house of your life on sand? It, it looks like listening to the words of Jesus and letting them go in one ear and out the other and doing nothing about it. What it looks like to build the house of your life on sand is to be indifferent to Jesus, to, to be indecisive, to say, you know, Jesus is fine, but not for me. Jesus says it's foolish to hear my words, to, to see the gate that leads to life and not enter it, to see a foundation that can be sturdy for you and not build your house on it is foolish. And what's coming in your life is inevitable collapse. If you build your life on anything other than Jesus, it is just a matter of time until that house of cards falls. James the brother of Jesus says it this way in James 1.22, that we should not just be hearers of the word, but what? Doers also. In other words, when you're faced with a choice between Jesus's way and your way, listen to the words of Jesus and act on them. Do what he says. Build your life on the word of Jesus. Build your life on the ways of Jesus. Be like the wise man who builds the house of your life on that sure and steady foundation, which is Christ. If you've ever seen a, a skyscraper being built, we lived in downtown Dallas for a little while. We would see skyscrapers being built from time to time. You'll notice that before that skyscraper goes up, they, they dig a huge hole in the ground for that foundation. And in fact, the higher the skyscraper goes, the deeper the foundation must be. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to go high in the Christian life, you, have a, you must have a foundation that is rooted deeply in Christ. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Look here on the screens. Paul says, so then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him. Look at this, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Paul is mixing metaphors here. He's, he uses an agricultural metaphor, roots. He says, if you want to walk in Christ, then you have to have roots that sink down deep into the soil of Christ. Now here in East Texas, you know, pine trees don't have the best root system. 
I've found that out here with some of the storms we had over the summer and you see these big tall pine trees and they tip over and the roots are just like these little tiny things. Sometimes we can live our lives following Christ that way where we just like we're a mile wide and an inch deep. We live shallow lives. Paul says, if you want to really be built up in Christ, you have to sink your roots down deep and then you're built up, you're established. That's a construction image. He says, build a sturdy foundation so that you can build, be built strong in Christ. You need to build your, the foundation of your life on something that is sure and steady and stable, not something that is faulty and flimsy. In the year 2000 in the city of London, they built uh, to commemorate the new millennium, they built something that they called the Millennium Bridge. And this was a steel suspension bridge. It took two years to build. They finally unveiled it. And it was supposed to be, you know, kind of commemorative of uh, the modern technology, you know, that would be associated with the new millennium. And so they called it the Millennium Bridge. They built it over the River Thames there in London. And they said that it could support the weight of 5,000 people at one time. It's a massive bridge. The only problem is on the day that they opened that bridge, uh, people started to walk on it. The bridge started to get shaky and it started to wobble. It started to wobble so bad that they actually had to close it down. They had to shut it down on opening day and get all the people off. And they had to rework some things and they opened it again. People walked on it again. And guess what? It was wobbly again. They had to re-engineer this whole thing. To this day, if you go to London, you will not know that bridge as the Millennium Bridge. It has earned the nickname, the Wobbly Bridge. Is the ground underneath your feet wobbly or is it solid? If you think about your life, have you built on something sturdy that will allow you to withstand the storms of life? Or are you built on a foundation of sand? You know, some of you in this room today, you are beginning to experience issues in your life because you have built your life on a different foundation from Christ. You have built your life on something else. And now you're beginning to experience the inevitable results of that. The winds maybe of this life are blowing on you and your house is beginning to shake and your foundation is a little bit wobbly and you sense that collapse may be coming. That's because you've built your house on the wrong foundation. You know, if you go to your house this afternoon and you notice that there are cracks in the wall of your house, let me just give you a pro tip. That's not a good sign, okay? And you might be just tempted to cover it up, you know, to paint over it like, ha, I fixed it. You know, I've painted over the cracks. No more problems. Or maybe you move a plant in front of the cracks, you know, like if I can't see it, it's not there. The problem is not the crack, okay? Lucas, can you tell me what the problem would be in a house that's got cracks all over the wall? It's gonna, he's going to assume the foundation. Safe assumption. Sometimes we begin to experience cracks in our life and, and it's like presenting issues, Right? We just think, well, I'll just paint over it. I'll just cover, maybe I'll move the plant over it, ignore it, pretend it's not there, and it'll go away. Maybe there's a foundation problem. Maybe the real issue is that you've been building your life on a foundation of sand. Jesus ends the sermon this way because he's inviting us to build our lives on a better foundation. He's presenting a choice between life and death. He's just saying, there's my way or your way. 
Which way are you going to choose? Two gates. One that looks easy and it's wide and broad. Lots of people on it. Are you going to choose that gate or are you going to choose the narrow, difficult way, but the way that leads to life? There's two kinds of fruits. Is good fruit or bad fruit? Which kind of fruit is your life bearing? There's two kinds of foundations. You have the choice. You can build your house on either of them. Which foundation will you build your life on? Which way will you choose? The great theologian Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. What he meant by that was when you're faced with a choice, make a decision. Jesus contrasts two ways in order for us to make a decision. Storms are coming. It's inevitable. It's not a matter of if, but when. Somebody has well said that every single person is either in a storm, they've just come out of a storm, or they're about to go into a storm. Which foundation did you build, have you built your life on? If you're a follower of Christ today, <clears throat> let me just tell you, you've got to make this choice between Jesus' way and your way. You've got to make that choice every single day. It's an every single morning decision if, if you're a follower of Christ to say, okay, I'm waking up. I can choose to do my, life my way or Jesus' way, right? It's like the old Burger, it's the Burger King slogan, you know, I'll have it, what? My way. I think that was a, a ripoff of an old Frank Sinatra song. I'll have it my way. And that's like, that's the human heart. We want things my way. Let me just ask you what Dr. Phil would ask. How's that working for you? <laughs> really? What kind of job are you doing with your life if you're in the driver's seat? My marriage, my way? It'd be a disaster. Thankful that Amy didn't say amen to that. Because <laughs> without Jesus, I would be a selfish jerk. My, parenting, my way? Our four kids would not survive. Parents, can I get a witness? Any honest parent in the house? Kids wouldn't survive. Work? My way? We'd just be toxic all the time. My personal life? My way? I'm going to drive my life into a brick wall. My way does not work well. I want Jesus' way. Jesus' way is the way to life. Notice the alternative. Is Jesus' way or my way? Notice the language in verse 13. Jesus say that, says the gate is wide, road broad, that leads to destruction. My way leads to destruction. Jesus says in verse 19, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's where my way leads. Verse 27, Jesus says, the foolish man's house in the sand, the rain comes, the rivers rise, the winds blow, pound that house, and it collapses. That's where my life is headed. My way. It's headed for collapse. Jesus says, there's a better way. So if you're here today and you know Christ, then it's an each and every day kind of decision. You wake up every morning and you say, okay, I've got a choice here. Jesus' way or my way. I'm choosing Jesus' way today. C.S. Lewis says, every morning the old man creeps back over him like a shell. And he's got a burst it off every single day, right? Paul uses that kind of language. He says, there's that old man that wants to creep up into your life. You've got to put him to death. 
Put him back in the grave. Wake up every morning and say, choosing Jesus' way. But if you're not a Christian here today, and in a room this size with as many people who are here today, I know there are people in the sound of my voice, you're sitting there and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're religiously involved, but you're far from God. Maybe you could answer all the right questions on a theology test, but you don't know the Lord and the Lord doesn't know you. Maybe you're here and you're just kind of interested, kind of curious, wondering about Jesus. Let me just tell you, there's a choice. The world offers its way. And I told you at the beginning of the sermon, the path we choose isn't always what it appears to be at first. The world's way looks like freedom, but it's actually slavery. It looks like life, but it's actually death. Jesus's way may look initially like slavery, but it's the kind of slavery that actually is freedom. That's the upside down nature of the kingdom, right? The the way up is the way down. To be high is to be low. To be first is to be last. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you have to be least. That's the upside down kingdom. To choose the narrow path is to choose the way of life. To bear good fruit is to live life as it was meant to be lived. To build on the solid rock is to have a foundation for your life that won't crumble or sway beneath the weight of life's challenges. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to choose the way of Jesus, I want to give you that invitation and that opportunity to make that decision today, in fact, right now. I'm going to ask every head in this room to, to be bowed And if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you to be praying right now in this moment for anyone in the room who may not know Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe you could spout off the right facts. Maybe you've been very involved in church, but you know in your heart of hearts that you don't know the Lord. Maybe even as I was speaking a few moments ago, you felt God nagging at you tapping on your shoulder saying, I don't know you. You know, you can know him today. You can choose his way today. You say, what do I have to do? Well, first of all, you have to admit that you need him. That just means admitting that you're a sinner, that your way is not working out well. You just admit that. And then you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's done what he says he has done. You believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and that he rose from the dead to offer you life. And then you make a commitment to follow Jesus as captain of your life, as king of your life, to make him center stage in your life. You could just pray something to Jesus, even in this moment, just pray something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I've been choosing my way and I'm far from you. But I believe you love me, and I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead, and that you can give me life. And I'm not gonna ignore you any longer. I'm saying yes today. I'm putting my all on the table, and I'll commit to follow you for the rest of my life. Now, if you prayed something like that, the Bible says a miracle happened. 
that you are a new creation. The Bible says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this new life is not easy. It's difficult. And you're going to need some brothers and sisters who can come alongside of you and help you understand how to live for God and make Jesus center stage. So if you just prayed something like that with me, I want you to, to let us know. We're going to have a couple people down here at the front, here at the end. In a moment, we're going to be closing. We're going to be walking out from this place. But as people are walking out, if you prayed something like that with me just now, I'm going to ask you to just linger. Just stay back and come and tell one of these people here at the front. Just say, I prayed with the pastor to receive Christ. And what they'll do is they'll pray for you. They'll encourage you. But they'll also help connect you to where you can learn more about how to live with God at the center of your life. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have a couple of closing announcements. And then you can come down and we'll celebrate with you today. Lord, we are so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for the invitation and the choice and the decision you place before us. Help us by the power of your spirit to choose your way. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.